episode of Leadership Matters here on WNTI, The Sound of Centenary. I'm John Del Rey, the director of WNTI, filling in for Dr. Timothy Fredericks this evening, joined by my co-host, Fran Gavin. Today, we are joined by graduate students from the Communication and Public Relations class at Centenary University, David Miller and Heather Carlton, and they will be introducing their guests in this discussion this evening. So right now, I'll be passing things off to Mr. David Miller to introduce his guests. David? Thank you, John. We're excited tonight for some conversations about leadership philosophies, how they're developed, and what we do with them. My guest tonight is Bill Blackburn, who's founder and president of Blackburn and & Associates and an affiliate of Academy Leadership. Bill has spent three careers over 36 years immersed in the study and practice of leadership and exceptional performance. During his 20-year career as a naval officer and aviator, he served in critical leadership roles that required both his own personal leadership and his ability to build teams and organizations to achieve highly complex assignments. In 15 years as a consultant for Gap International, a firm known for its expertise in breakthrough business results, Bill honed his, school, his skills as an effective executive coach for senior business leaders. His partnership with these leaders and their teams consistently resulted in their businesses producing sustainable, exceptional business performance. He's a skilled facilitator in leadership development, strategic and operational planning, organization alignment and team building, and is currently with Leadership Academy. Joining Bill and I is Heather Carlton, who will share a little about her guests this evening. We are very blessed to have Dr. Melissa Sable, superintendent of Alamucci Public Schools. Dr. Sable is a graduate of the College of New Jersey, where she earned her bachelor's degree with honors in health and physical education. In addition, she holds a master's degree in special education and received her doctorate in educational leadership in 2020 from Centenary University. Dr. Sable began her career in Alamuchi in 2002 as a health and physical education teacher. Over the past two decades, she has served the district in multiple leadership roles, including director of technology, district vice principal, school principal, child study team director, and more gaining experiences in every aspect of elementary and early secondary education. In January of 2021, she accepted the position of acting superintendent and began serving as Alamucci's permanent superintendent in July of 2021. Welcome. She has been an amazing friend and mentor, and I'm happy she joins us tonight. We are also blessed to have Dr. David. Oh, see, Dave, I did it. Mr. David Marion. David Marion is the principal of Academy Street Elementary School in Dover, New Jersey. He is a longtime resident of Verona, a graduate of Montclair State University, where he earned his degree in marketing. After he returned to the classroom to obtain a degree in elementary education from Caldwell College and went on to earn his master's of educational leadership also at Centenary University. Mr. Marion began his career as a third grade teacher at Academy Street. There he taught both third and fifth grade. He continued in a leadership role as the vice principal of East Dover Elementary School and ultimately returned home to Academy Street to serve as the building's principal for the last 12 years. Mr. Marion is also a published author, along with his fellow teacher, Andrew Bueno, and illustrator Kevin Clark, he penned A Scarlet Night's Dream. The children's book follows the journey of a young boy who, after attending his first ever Rutgers Scarlet Knights football game, develops his dream to play football. Mr. Marion himself played linebacker and knows the dream firsthand. An injury rerouted him toward a leadership journey. He shares his story with children, reinforcing the importance of education and the need to never allow setbacks to stall success. Welcome, Mr. Marion. Once again, we wanna welcome all our guests and thank you for being patient for those rather lengthy introductions. I think our first uh, bit of conversation, I'm gonna turn it to Bill. And uh, I'd like Bill, if, if possible, could you share a little bit about what is a leadership philosophy and maybe um, your leadership philosophy? Thank you for inviting me to join this discussion. Um, I'm passionate about leadership and leadership philosophy is something that we focus on in all the leadership programs provided by Academy Leadership, which we focus on lead by example leadership. 
And in a general sense, I suppose people think of leadership philosophy as just what do you believe about leadership. Uh, for us, we we have a specific uh, format and and reason for shaping it, but uh, this came out of the, a study in the Navy of what had the most successful ships always win the excellence award. And in all cases, the commanding officer was very explicit about the mission of the ship or the organization, whatever it was, the um, priorities, the expectations of the commanding officer on the crew, what the command, what the crew could expect of the commanding officer, and um, set clear expectations for everybody on the ship. And uh, we found that this works extremely well in the business environment. And essentially, that's what it is. You write a brief statement, ideally no more than a page, 300 to 500 words, that clearly states the kind of leader you aspire to be, uh, your expectations, and then ask to be held accountable so, so that you uh, it ensures, help ensures, you walk the talk and lead the way you aspire to lead. I don't know that I've ever written my leadership philosophy. Um, what about you, Dave? Have you written a leadership philosophy, Melissa? I guess I'll go first. You said my name first. Uh, I don't think I've ever really written anything, Dan, put anything in writing. Um, my leadership philosophy really comes from my upbringing. Uh, there, always takes me back to a quote that my father uh, used to say all the time to me. Uh, it's from Vince Lombardi, uh, the Packers legendary coach. Uh, and the, the quote is, the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. Uh, so that really stuck with me through everything I've done in life, uh, whether it be athletics, education. Um, and the other thing that rings true, my father from day one uh, with sports was always lead by example. And that's what I try to do each and every day is uh, lead by example, make sure that uh, everybody on my team knows that there's nothing beneath me. You know, if, if the floor needs to be mopped, I'll mop it. If things need to be moved, I'll move them. If I have to cover our class and teach, I'll do it. And I think that's really helped me in creating a culture in our school where everybody just jumps in when they see something needs to be done. Um, and I, I think that all funnels back to that lead by example philosophy. I think that's true. I think people take cues from you. Melissa, have you ever written one? I have not actually uh, written down an entire philosophy for leadership. However, when I do reflect about different leadership styles and what I would like to be able to portray to any of the staff members with whom I work with or any team that I'm working with, the uh, characteristics that come to mind would be approachable, knowledgeable, competent, adaptable, and reasonable. Um, I want to be similar to Dave and get my hands dirty, be able to step in when needed, and be able to demonstrate what needs to be done to get it done, and also portray the fact that I am in it for everything I can do to possibly make things better for anyone who I am working alongside of and that we are truly a team and I will help this team get to where it needs to be. And again, I always have something in the back of my mind that I have that I would fall back on is that we are in education for our students and always keeping that in mind helps to guide decision-making and if we can always relate back to the students and how it impacts the the children who we are working for then we can make the best decision that we can possibly make and be all in and work together to get whatever needs to be done accomplished that's a great idea something that you said there about being a team and i'm gonna toss this back to dave in a moment but also you melissa as a former health and pe teacher certainly um that idea of a team how does that fit into your philosophy of leadership and and how you lead at your your schools and districts dave i think teamwork is everything you know there's that saying teamwork makes the dream work uh it's kind of corny but it, it's true uh you know, you're only as good as your weakest player, so to speak, on your team. 
And uh, if you can come up, up with a common vision, just like Melissa was talking about earlier, you know, we've bought into the philosophy of everything that we do is for students, is in the best interest of students, uh, first and foremost. And when you can get everybody on that same page, uh, chasing that same goal, uh, you know, it, it, it really does equate back to just the simple concepts of, you know, athletics. I, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, growing up, athletics taught me so much that the classroom couldn't. And it was part of being part of a team. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a leader of teams. Um, and I think that's really kind of fed into everything that I do today. Uh, it, you know, I always reflect back to different situations or times where, you know, I was younger in my youth. And you wouldn't think sometimes uh, children can be leaders or young adults can be leaders. But uh, you really can. And you start to build that uh, belief system and, and the confidence that Melissa was talking about, having the confidence in yourself to lead a team, to, you know, show them and get them to buy in. And that, I think that's huge. I think if you can't work as a team, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a leader at the top, that's going to try to just dictate from the top, uh, you're not going to get buy-in from your team. And, and, and that means everything. Just knowing that I can rely on somebody. If I'm not able to get something done or I, I'm having a bad day, there's always going to be somebody there to pick me up. And that my team knows that as well. You know, if they're having an off day or they need anything, you know, somebody, even if it's not me, somebody on that team is going to be there to pick them up. And I think that goes a long way. And I always think about the saying that there many minds are always smarter than one mind. I do not know everything. And I happen to be fortunate enough to be able to surround myself with people that are very intelligent and know lot of things about a lot of different topics and when it comes to education there are a lot of different topics there are a lot of different styles there's a lot of different ways to reach the students and being able to come together and work together and be as equals and be able to share the personal knowledge that you possess with the group will allow you to come up with the best solution because you've worked together instead of keeping yourself in your own little bubble and thinking that you got all the right answers. Um, I don't know if there's any leader that has all the right answers, but if you surround yourself with people that have a lot of input and a lot of great things to say, you are going to be a much stronger leader and be able to be met with much more success that way. Well put. I also wanted to uh, give Bill a chance to kind of speak to this. Of course, commanding helicopter units overseas and supporting aircraft carriers might look a little different, but I'm sure you could speak to that team spirit. Very much so. And I love the examples each of you gave because being grounded in whether it's, you know, the purpose that the students um, are the, the ultimate focal point or whatever it is, all of those uh, things that you, principles that you're grounded in, whether it was stuff from your parents, mine was, you know, uh, always do your best. You know, just simple things like that. It will serve as a moral compass for you so that when you get in tough decisions, you're grounded in, you know, what's the ultimate purpose here? Keep the students in mind, whatever it is. Um, that's real, really the benefit of this having thought through what is it that's truly important to you. And, you know, a lot of times, there are not easy decisions to make, but at least it's helpful when you involve more people. Uh, I have that in my leadership philosophy. More minds make for better decisions, you know, all these things. They're common sense, but if you're not grounded in, um, in, a, in an emergency situation where you have to respond quickly, you might just go with a gut reaction that's not well grounded in, in uh, or at least uh, formed and shaped by your moral compass. I agree. I think that um, the leader's compass is an interesting read, and it is um, focused on what you're saying, that people are taking cues based on what we do. I like the boots on the ground philosophy as well, because I think people need to see us doing what we say we're going to do. And I think that's why you said, Bill, about writing it so that we can remain true to it. Is that true? 
That's true. <laughs> and then the other piece, the reason it's so powerful is then once you've thought it through, written it and share it, that's when, boy, do you get more accountable to yourself because you know now you've made that public to others. And if you're their leader, they are certainly watching you. And it's it, it really does serve you then as a moral compass. I could say personally, as someone that's written a leadership philosophy, um, although I've not shared it with my staff yet, hope to later this year, one thing I did was I, I posted it in my office. Um, so as you know, I'm reflecting on decisions, I'm thinking about you know that idea of leading by example and, and having a belief system that reflects my personal values. And it's amazing how consistent we seem to be with some, some of those values. Um, you know, my n number one on my list is something that Dave said earlier, um, which I'm sure we all do. And that's, you know, I bet we or I act in the best interest of my students. So the students are the center of every decision. From then we um, can expand out. You know, we have a staff, we have parents, we have the greater community. But really at the heart of those decisions is the students. Um, and in regard to sharing a philosophy, the other piece that I think happens is, you know, I want to ask my staff to keep me accountable. If these are the things that I'm communicating that I believe in, I want them to let me know if they believe I'm falling short of those. How do you keep everybody on the same page and, and that momentum going teamwork that you were talking about, Dave? It's something that just over time, the consistency of it. I think it's, you know, having been in that school for as long as I've been for the 12 years I've been there is, you know, you're not going to get 100% buy-in from everybody day one. Uh, it, it comes with time. It comes with earning the respect, earning the trust of your team. Um, and as you do that, and as you're consistent with everything, you know, in every situation, if you're consistent, people buy in and, you know, they, they take your example and they run with it. You know, one of the big things that I'm always pushing or I'm always encouraging my staff to do is create valuable relationships, not only with the students, but their families. Um, you know, we're, these families are trusting their children with us uh, for more waking hours a day they spend with us than they do their own family. So uh, I, I think it really goes a long way in building, you know, we call it our school family, you know, and I, and I truly believe that it, it's, you know, I spend a lot of time with these children, with my staff, with these families, with these parents, we kind of get brought into their lives, uh, some of their most intimate and personal things that are going on in their homes, um, and they count on us to be there for them. And if you can consistently show everybody, students, families, staff, that you're there consistently, that they can count on you, I think it just over time, it just builds. And, you know, I, I think that's very important uh, moving forward. So, I mean, Heather, you've had some firsthand experience in our building and, you know, events, everybody's out there welcoming parents, uh, you know, high fives and handshakes and hugs. And I think that goes a long way. It really does. Well, I'm going to uh, jump in and take this opportunity to uh, take us into our break. You're listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI, the sound of Centenary, and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters here on WNTI, the sound of Centenary. I'm John Del Rey, the director of WNTI, filling in for Dr. Timothy Fredericks this evening, along with our co-host, Fran Gavin. And we are going to be continuing our discussion, and Heather Carlton will be leading things off. Heather? Um, we've spoken a little bit about our leadership philosophies and basically how you've developed them. If you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, maybe during your first year as an administrator, advice might that be? Melissa? Well, I would definitely say that you don't know it all the first day and that um, it does take time to learn and you do still need to be flexible even if you really do stand behind your decisions and your philosophy and you have that confidence to be able to be a really good leader. It is always good to take a step back and really think about exactly what you want to accomplish and know that you can't do it alone and you can't do it all in one night and that everything is a process and that you just need to be organized enough to be able to reflect in the different areas in which you want to 
be able to grow or make some changes and allow it to take the time that it needs so it can be done correctly and that the communication regarding anything that is going to be changing or being adapted is going to need to be discussed at length and all stakeholders should be included. So I guess I would ultimately say, don't just jump right into everything, even if that's what you really wanna do because you wanna see the change right away, take your time. <laughs> It'll pay off in the long run. What about you, Dave? Do you think you'd have advice for yourself in your first year? Uh, definitely. Uh, you know, a couple of things I would just tell myself or somebody new getting into it is you don't need to answer every question on the spot. Um, you don't have to claim to know everything uh, right, right off the bat and right out of the gates. Uh, also, just don't be afraid to be yourself. Um, I really think uh, being your genuine self goes a long way in uh, leadership. You know, if you try to be something you're not, uh, it's going to become transparent at some point, if not right away. So don't be afraid to be yourself and stand for what you believe is right. Um, you know, sometimes you get into these situations as an administrator where, you know, politics may play a role in something, but you really should always be standing behind what you believe in is right. And like I said, every decision we make is in the best interest of students. So when it comes to that, uh, really stick to that stick to the students, stick to believing in uh, every decision should be made in their best interest. Bill, do you have any advice to your younger self? <laughs> yeah, uh, you got all night, but uh, no, uh, all kidding aside, the um, I guess the longer I've been involved with leadership and leadership development, the more I'm present to what a huge challenge effective communication is. And you know, I, I I started out thinking, you know, simple, concise is the best way to communicate because that's the way I'm wired. That's the way I like to communicate. But what I've learned to realize is you can't assume you've made your expectations clear because in many cases they've interpreted whatever you said in some other way. And my easy, simple, concise message may work for Fred, but Mary may like a lot of details. We're all wired differently. And I am, you know, I've grown to the point where I may have to communicate the same message a half a dozen ways or as many different ways as I have people. And the better that you know your team, your people, the more you know the intricacies of how they're different and how best to communicate with them. So um, if anything, over-communicate and, uh, and by all means, always check for understanding <laughs> how did they interpret whatever you said? And you might be shocked sometimes to see how differently they've interpreted something that you thought was very uh, simple and clear. And just taking a minute to hang on to that that real big cornerstone there, that idea of communication. Um, in myself reflecting, it's you know it it seems almost too obvious that point that we can't over communicate. Um, however, it seems pretty elusive. Um, I don't know if, Dave, maybe you want to share some of your practices, maybe some of the pitfalls in communication, and, and how that works for you. Building off what Bill said, uh, knowing your people, uh, because like he said, some people receive information differently, and some people like it uh, differently. And it, it, it's kind of funny, I was teasing with Heather earlier today with all this technology that we do have available to us and a lot of the changes we made, uh, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, to shift towards all this technology, that doesn't work for everybody. Um, while it's new, some people still prefer the old. Um, and I, I was telling Heather of an experience I had today with just a faculty meeting and the way we ran it today was a little more traditional than it's been. And some of the staff members were so appreciative to kind of get a taste of what it used to be like, so to speak. Um, just knowing your people and how to communicate with them. Same thing with families, you know? Some families uh, you can communicate with in a, in a certain way and, and they get the point and others you have to kind of take a different approach. Same with students, uh, everybody involved. I think knowing your team, knowing your players um, is a big thing. 
How do you communicate like that in El Mochino? We have a variety of different methods on how we can communicate, and it all depends on who our audience is. You really do need to know who it is you are speaking to and what type of information you are trying to get out so that people can have true understanding. Um, I have noticed that people don't really prefer to read everything through email. So having a variety of ways to pre present that information is, uh, it has proven to be able to grasp the attention of other audience members. So for example, a flyer that is a little bit more colorful and has um, more illustration instead of an entire letter that takes up a whole page is something that people have more time to be able to focus on and get the gist of what you're saying. Um, another thing that we have tried to do is uh, have some podcasts where we would come up with a topic and very similar to a radio station since um, this type of format is pretty much, it's a fun thing to do. You can share a lot of information in a short period of time and you can listen to it in your car. So if there's a topic that's become a hot topic and you wanna get a gathering of people to sit down and talk about it and put it out on your website so people can listen to it, that's another really wonderful way of getting information out there. And if you really want to boost your views, you get the students involved and have them do a little segment and be able to answer some of your questions so that you can really get them interested in hearing what has to be shared. And we have found that our community does prefer to hear from our students instead of from the administration. So whenever possible, try to switch things up and have different ways to share out the information so that you can get as many of your community members, uh, students, staff, families, as many of them as possible to hear what you have to say and what you need to share with them. Thank That's you. That's wonderful. Um, uh, of course, in, you know, communication has shifted since the pandemic. COVID has certainly changed a lot of our practices. Um, and that might possibly be the style of leadership or part of the philosophy of leadership. Has any of that shifted? since the pandemic? Has anyone rethought some of their beliefs or reconsidered some ideas? Melissa? The one main thing that I have really picked up on is that sometimes, um, and I guess for me, I am very much so a collaborative leader, but um, there were times where the communication and the collaboration was a bit challenged. And because of that, I needed to fall back on other ways to be able to make decisions and be able to support those decisions, like research or studies that were done to be able to help guide in the decision-making process so that we are still helping out our students in the best way that we could and doing it this way a little bit more than I would like to because the communication piece and the collaboration piece was more challenging due to COVID. So now with things opening up a bit more, having a, a better balance is something that is reasonable to do and bring in that research or bring in what substantiates your decision or your thought process and share that while you are working with your team on making a decision. So being able to come back and be able to do a combination of the two, I think is something that has been beneficial to take away from the pandemic and I was pretty much forced to do things differently, but I will take the lesson that I learned and be able to use it to my advantage for future. Yeah, I agree, Mel. I, I think that almost in this pandemic, it was as if um, it, our teams, at least in my experience, wanted more direction um, and less collaborative power in that process. What do you think, Dave? Um, I felt that we shifted a little bit in the pandemic. I agree, Heather. I think everyone during this time wanted direction and they wanted it from the top. Um, they wanted to be told what to do and how to do it, which was a shift because everything that we do is collaborative and everybody does have a voice, but I feel like uh, everyone was just trying to navigate life during this whole thing, let alone 
changing and learning a whole new way of teaching. Um, I, I think they were just looking for the answers. They did. They didn't uh, really care so much for the participation and the collaboration. While they did have, in some aspects, uh, opportunities to do so, um, like Heather, like you were saying, is just I think people wanted direction. Um, but some good things that came out of this uh, pandemic, when it comes to communication, is uh, learning new ways to communicate. Um, we had teachers using apps to be to reach out to families, and we got the the feedback from families that they'd rather get these text messages through these apps than us to email them or call them or whatnot. And it started dialogues through the apps. Um, even from me personally, we were giving, uh, we started this weekly update through our Honeywell system, which is like a robo calling feature. And that stuck as well. You know, since we've come back, uh, we're using the apps. I'm doing weekly updates every week. Uh, you know, the families get a little message from me about what, going on at school, what's coming up at school. Um, I really think they really did enjoy that as well. And uh, one of the other things that came out of this, um, we did virtual conferences last year because we weren't in the building as opposed to our usual in-person and our attendance rates skyrocketed. Um, it was just a lot easier for parents. So this year, as we're coming back, we're kind of blending the old with the new and, and doing in-person conferences with a virtual option for families, if that works better for them. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the pandemic uh, when it comes to communication and, and really adapting the way we do communicate and blending some of that old with the new. Did it, thanks Dave, I agree with that totally. Um, Bill, did it shift um, some of what you were doing? Did COVID affect it? Uh, very much so, because we're um, pride ourselves in, you know, engaging interactive classroom uh, education. And of course, we had to make a complete shift uh, to doing virtual programs online. But I want to build on what a couple of you have said, because I think in times of crisis or, you know, unusual, unforeseen circumstances like we faced this past year, people do prefer to <laughs> have more guidance. They don't like the uncertainty, the, you know, not knowing what to do. So it's not surprising that a lot of people were more open to, uh, you know, more direct guidance. But as leaders, you know, and many of you then started to notice, okay, yeah, we can provide that, but you don't want to lose that collaborativeness. And as leaders, um, the, the, the struggle that I saw many of them and heard the, from many of them, the struggles they face with keeping the connection amongst each other in a team. Uh, many of us, um, the more extroverted people, people, we, we thrive, we get our energy from those interactions. And, and you just don't have that if you start to limit yourself to email, text, you know, something where you have no no um, tone and the nonverbals, you got to have the virtual, the visual. And so it really required leaders to figure out how, how do they, uh, I'm a firm believer in leadership by walking around, just going around, checking in on your people. It makes you approachable. They could say, oh, hey, yeah, I had a question I wanted to ask you. How do you do that in a virtual environment? And thank goodness the technology helped us avoid that gap. And you could use even just FaceTime. You know, you could call somebody, but you know, if if uh, you know, um, you know, they have that capability, you can say, "Hey, I just want to see you. I, I want to, you know, I want to have that eye-to-eye -eye contact." And I think that makes a big difference for some people and some more so than others. And here again, to, to emphasize what others have said, know your people. Um, and on one final note on this topic, uh, reminds me of a favorite uh, definition of leadership that we borrowed from the Navy, know yourself, know your people, and know your stuff. Obviously, the more self-aware you are of your strengths, your weaknesses, your foibles, those kind of things, the better leader you can be, the better you know your people. Obviously, you can know how to communicate, motivate them better. And there are skills that are needed to be an effective leader 
you know, obviously effective communication, coaching, conflict resolution. So we all have to keep adjusting and and uh, changing with the environment, and COVID certainly caused that. Well, this is a, a good opportunity to take a uh, short break. Uh, you're listening to a fascinating session on leadership uh, led by Heather Carlton and Dave Miller on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Welcome back to Leadership Matters on uh, WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We're in the middle of a wonderful conversation led by our graduate students here at Centenary, Heather Carlton and Dave Miller, and their very special guests, Bill Blackburn, Melissa Sable, and David Marion. So, Heather and David, uh, back to you. Sure. It's nice to be back. And uh, just wanted to bring up the, the part of the philosophy that I have, and it's, it's kind of a section that's weeded out as the non-negotiables, or you might call it personal idiosyncrasies. Um, for me, it's things like uh, not responding to students or parents at our school, or um, not treating others with a high level of respect, or, or even the idea of blaming others for situations rather than problem solving. So it's a little tough and it's a little uh, opposed to what we typically do as school administrators, but um, what are the non-negotiables or idiosyncrasies that you might have, Dave? So some non-negotiables. Uh, this one was you know, really thought-provoking, made me think a little bit. Uh, what would be a non-negotiable? Well, one is respect. We need to treat everybody in our building with respect. We're all on the same team. Um, we're all part of the same uh, goal, uh, you know, vision. We want to make sure that everyone from, you know, the administration to the teaching staff to the paraprofessionals to the custodians and the secretaries and everybody is an equal. Uh, and we need to treat each other with respect uh, in every situation. Uh, others is just they need to lead by example. Um, we want to make sure that everybody is putting out uh, their best foot forward and, and really modeling what we believe in uh, each and every day. So uh, we really want to make sure that and communication uh, with families. Uh, there's no reason that we shouldn't be answering families. Uh, parent reaches out, uh, we should be getting it back in touch with them. A student has a question, we should be able to find an answer for them. Um, it's always one of those things, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Uh, I always try to look at things um, as a parent as well. You know, sometimes parents are, are tough, but you know what? Sometimes when you take a step back and zoom out a little bit and you put yourself in their shoes, you can kind of better understand why they're feeling that way. And, and you know, everybody deserves to be heard and everybody deserves a response. So those are some of the non-negotiables that we have. I, I think we also... Um in the last year or so that I've been working with Dave, a non-negotiable is negativity. Um, I, I just think that the way that Dave leads our building, it's very clear that um, problems are challenges, not obstacles. Um, they're something to grow from rather than something to lead to an impasse. What do you see as your non-negotiables, Mel? Well, I definitely see that Everyone that works with children and works for children needs to be the model of what you want those children to be able to become as they um, grow through the grade levels. And then since my school only goes up to eighth grade, to be able to take on those model behaviors and ways to interact with others as they go into high school. And that it is really a non-negotiable or a sticking point for me when there is anyone who is acting in a way that we wouldn't want our students to be acting in, that they could need to constantly be the model of the behavior. If you have a disagreement, there's a proper way to have a disagreement. You can have a discussion. You don't need to raise your voice. You can be able to use the vocabulary that is appropriate to the situation and be able to convey exactly how you are feeling and why you're feeling that way. And then you can work together to try to come up with something that is going to make things better. But starting to yell about it, argue about it, that is really not okay. And it should never happen in the view of the parents or the students because you are always the model for their behavior because you are, once you're in that building, 
or on that property, you are an educator and they should be able to look at you and see what an educator is supposed to be and how an educator is supposed to act and how that interaction between adults is supposed to occur so that they have something to look to so that if someone steals their cookie from the lunchroom, that they're not going to go and start a big fight over it. There is a way to solve that problem. And it's through communication, being able to interact with one another. So that to me is the, my non-negotiable is acting in a way that would not be appropriate for the view of students. Bill, any non-negotiables from your end? Uh, yes. And in fact, there's um, in the way that we we guide people and encourage them to write their leadership philosophy. We, um, we encourage them to think in two categories. There's the things you will not tolerate, the non-negotiables, and then there's the pet peeves that are a lesser um, extreme. Uh, you know, some of us are more, um, you know, serious about punctuality you know, that's a pet peeve, don't be late, it's rude to the rest of the, you know, the team, things like that. The non-negotiables in my mind are just like people have been saying, uh, you know, I learned in my family, you will not lie, cheat or steal. And I happened to end up at the Naval Academy and immediately learned that a midshipman will not lie, cheat or steal. You know, those kind of things that in my mind, you know, if I if I'm not capable of firing you from the organization, I don't want you on my team if you demonstrate any of that kind of behavior. But in lieu of now seeing, you know, where society's going and what's acceptable or not, I've added uh, and you know, abusive behavior of any kind, you know, abusive, disrespectful behavior will not be accepted at any time because, you know, here again, as leaders, why, why would we tolerate that? So mine may sound a little extreme, but, um, you know, that's, that's where I feel it's important and people need to know what are the limits. And, you know, that's our job as leaders to make sure the limits are clear. If I can jump in for a moment, um, Bill, well, I think something that you mentioned uh, was, was really operative here, um, and that's communicating. Uh, so I'd be interested in knowing how everybody uh, in their particular setting communicates these non-negotiables and or pet peeves so that it doesn't become a gotcha situation or more importantly, so that you can prevent an issue uh, from developing in advance. I can speak to that. I know that I um, consistently, whenever there's a question about how things should be communicated, how things should be discussed, I always bring um, my audience back to how do we want to be viewed? We have, everyone has their own educational philosophy, whether they have written it down or if they've just thought about bits and pieces of it, but they also have a reputation that they want to be able to uphold. And when looking for individuals to hire, we're consistently thinking about um, characteristics that individuals should possess. And part of it is being respectful and being able to carry yourself in a way that shows, demonstrates respect and being able to work through different situations in a way where you can still model the behavior that you want to see out of your students. And it doesn't matter what level or position that you may hold while you are in the school, everyone is held to the same standard. And I have had to intervene before where someone might be getting a bit frustrated and starting to have a conversation that should not be had uh, within earshot of any of the students. Not that it was totally inappropriate or anything like that, but it was starting to get a little bit more heated than what would be appropriate. And I had to ask the, the individual not have that conversation at that point in time, or I have had to ask people to move to a different area to continue their conversation because there is still that level of appropriate ways to communicate and whenever you are in the school or on the property, and 
And in education, we know that even when we're in the public, there is a standard that we need to uphold. And sometimes we need to remind people of that. Well, so I think, I guess the question really is, um, as the leader of an organization, how do you communicate those expectations uh, to the organization? Uh, modeling is absolutely appropriate, but uh, some people are a little slow on the uptake for uh, observing models. There are times where you just have to say it as well, that when you are going over what the expectations are, that it needs to be intertwined into what you are sharing with the group so that you come right out and say it, that if it's not appropriate and it's not what you want your students to be acting like, you should not be doing it in any public venue. Last year, um, I think, Mel, you're completely right. Uh, last year, our district read fierce conversations. And I think for those non-negotiables, sometimes those fierce conversations have to be had. They're not easy conversations, but they are straight and they speak to what I think Dave said earlier about being genuine and true to who you are and what you want to effectuate in your building. Yeah, I'd just like to add um, whether the communication, no matter how it's being stated, whether I'm sending a video to the staff or it's a faculty meeting or we're passing in the hallway, um, when those expectations get communicated, um, a couple things need to follow. Um, one of which, of course, is re constant review. Um, you know, we can't assume just because we said it once, twice, or three times that it's going to be committed to memory and become a pattern. Um, and along with that idea, I think consistency is key. So the message doesn't change, uh, just like our modeling doesn't change, our behavior doesn't change. Um, I really liked uh, Melissa shared earlier about the importance of modeling and answering that, that question that we all need to answer as educators, which is what do we want our students to be? Um, which kind of leads me to the next thought that I had, which is uh, most of our school buildings have a school motto. Um, and whenever I look at our school motto, it does tie directly to my leadership philosophy. So my school is we are kind and caring. And that's our expectation all around, whether you're a staff member, a student, a parent coming into the building, the expectation is that we are kind and caring and we all model that and we review it and we communicate it constantly. Um, I didn't know if somebody else wanted to share a school motto of theirs and perhaps how that may tie in. We I can speak to that as well. I don't want to commandeer the, the conversation, but um, we are very proud in Alamuchi to have um, the Alamuchi learner that guides a lot of the things that we do and how we um, pretty much mold our students into what we would like to see them be and what they represent as they go on to high school. So the different characteristics within the Alamuchi learner are that they are curious, they're thinkers, they're principled, they are caring, well-rounded, knowledgeable, they are great communicators, open-minded, risk takers, and they are also reflective. And this is what we fall back on in many of our different situations to be able to you know, keep in the back of our mind as our philosophy and what we want to be instilling in our students. We have a couple of different things. We've uh, recently adopted core values uh, at our school and in our district. Um, and we are the Dover Tigers. So we use the uh, acronym of the Tigers. And, you know, it, it really focuses on trustworthy integrity, uh, giving empathy, respect and service. Uh, that's what we want to see in all of our students. In addition to those uh, core values, which we kind of run everything through, uh, we usually have a, a yearly theme um, that we kind of put out there for the teachers and the students, for the entire school community. And this year, uh, with everything that was going on with the pandemic, all the challenges that we kind of had to overcome, um, we went with uh, live in the now uh, motto this year, you know, live in the present, you know, things in the past, they're in the past. You know, if we worry about too far into the future, we're going to miss what's going on in the moment. So let's make sure we're always constantly living in the moment and make maximizing those moments. Heather, something to add? Yeah, um, as a district, um, in addition to what Dave was saying that we did for the building for live in the moment, um, we also banded together and everybody is looking at together for Dover. 
the idea of coming back together, being back in the building together, seeing each other. Um, I think Bill mentioned earlier the importance of that face-to-face. Um, I was transferred to um, work with Dave in the pandemic. And I, I'm gonna be honest, it was a very challenging situation because these teachers didn't know me. They didn't know my philosophy or as Melissa was saying, um, how approachable I might be or how adaptable I may be over you know, some video chat. So this year coming back to the building and being together for Dover was really important. Couldn't agree more with having a common goal. I think whenever we're working as a unit, we always accomplish more. Um, can't say that uh, we haven't done tremendous things since coming back, we have, um, but it's been great to really take on this idea that we're not returning to how things were before the pandemic so much as taking what we've learned from it um, and those philosophies and really bringing everything together to move forward. Well, and if you think about it, having that, um, that motto as the guiding light uh, allows all leaders, uh, whether it's uh, the, the head of the organization, the intermediate leaders, or the, pol the ultimate policymakers, to make all their judgments and decisions uh, through a, a particular lens that allows everybody to um, really head in the same direction and to get on the same page. So uh, it's, I would suggest that it's really important for uh, mottos or it, they, they effectively act as goals for a particular entity. So it's, it's an, important, uh, an important aspect of, of uh, team success. So our time is, is coming to an end. And uh, so uh, I would like to uh, express our special thanks to Bill Blackburn, Melissa Sable, and Dave Marion for being our special guests. And of course, special thanks to Heather Carlton and Dave Miller for uh, their curating uh, role and responsibility in today's program. So on behalf of uh, and, uh, Leadership Matters, uh, Tim Fredericks and myself, thank you very much to everybody for appearing. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org the voice of Centenary University.